Emma McAdam, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So the big thing I want to talk about today and pick your brain on is the concept of emotional processing, which sounds so big and therapist-y, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's the, the reason I want to talk to you about it is because you're one of my favorite people in terms of taking kind of complicated sounding mental healthy stuff and just talking about it in a really ordinary way. Um, so I thought you'd be the perfect person to kind of chat with the, to about this. So here, the way I like to start with these, these types of questions is, do you, do you have kids? You have little kids, right? Yeah. Yep. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. Oh, perfect. That's like, that's like mine. Exactly. That's wild. Yeah. Cool. I got three little girls. Um, is that, you've got a couple girls too. So do I. Oh my yeah, gosh. We like the same. <laughs> How have we not talked about this? Exciting life <laughs> development stage. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so let's imagine you're um, you're in your office working on something, and your six year old walks in and says, "Hey, mom, what you doing?" Um, and you say, "Oh, honey, I'm I'm working on a video about emotional processing." And your six year old <laughs> is like, "Emotional processing? Like, what is that? How would you explain emotional processing to your six year old?" That's a good question. I feel like I do emotion processing with my six-year-old all the time, but I haven't told her what it is. So if she were to ask that, I would say, <coughs> pardon me, I would say something like, um, well, it's it's about noticing that you're feeling something and trying to pay attention so that you can tell what you are feeling and then um, paying uh, and then trying to figure out what you should do about what you're feeling if there is something you need to do about it. Mm, yeah, I love it. So th that's great. I think that's a really good, uh, and I know I kind of cut you off the off guard with that question, but, um, or that, fr that phrasing of the question, I guess, that angle on it. But I think it's important because it's, yeah, it's so easy to get overly intellectual with these concepts. So paint us a picture of like when you work with your clients, where does, where does emotional processing come up as an issue? Like, what does it look like if someone is, whether they know it or not, struggling mm -hmm. with emotional processing? Yeah. So I don't know if you knew this about me, but my background, I started working in like wilderness programs, like treatment programs for troubled youth. Yeah. So um, in these jobs, I'd spend eight days at a time out in the field with a group of like eight to 10 teenagers and, um, you know, no bathrooms, we'd sleep under tarps and we'd cook our food on the fire and we'd hike around. And so I'm out there with these teenagers whose parents are like, um, my child is in danger or my child's using drugs or my child's not succeeding in school. And these kids had their emotional stuff. Um, and so they would come out to the wilderness and you can imagine if you spend eight full days with someone, any human being, but especially teenagers and especially teenagers who are, you know, considered troubled, they're going to have blow ups. <laughs> they're going to have moments where they're so mad or they're really upset at their parents or they ran out of a certain type of food that they like and they're just upset or they're, you know, really upset at one of the people in their group <coughs> or um, they're really upset about something I, I need them to do. Like, hey, today you need to do your camp chore and they might get really upset. Right. So they get angry with these teenagers um, a, you know, feeling emotions often looks like anger or defiance or refusing to do something. So I learned about emotion processing by like, and all these programs I worked at were very relationship based. They weren't like pun punishment based or anything like that. Like we weren't using a consequences. The, the programs I worked at did not have consequences. There was natural consequences, but it was like, mostly we just used our relationship 
to talk with these kids and explain to them what was going on. So emotion processing looked like, oh, you're really mad about the hike today. Okay. And using a word like mad is the first, you know, part of emotion processing. Like, let's identify what you're feeling. You, you hate having to hike today. You feel so upset about having to hike today. Yeah, let's talk about that. So we'd talk about that. And then really we'd, we'd learn like, oh, actually, I'm, I'm super upset that my parents sent me here. I'm really mad at my parents. And that's what this is really about. So let's talk about your parents. Then we'd spend, and honestly, I've spent hours like out in the desert, sitting next to young men and young women, just like talking about their feelings. <laughs> and then once they would um, kind of work through these I would say 95% of the time they'd be like, okay, now I know what to do about it. Now I'm going to write my parents a letter and tell them what I'm thinking and then, um, and then um, choose to go on this hike. And then 5% of the time they'd be like, screw you, I'm never hiking again. And that might happen. For, I mean, sometimes they would, they would say that for a week. I'd be like, okay, let's talk about that too. Let's talk about how you hate me. Okay, let's talk about that, you know? And, so, and, and then it, I worked in residential treatment too for a long time. And so we'd have these teenage girls and emotion processing would look like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sad about what my friend did. I feel so left out. I feel so lonely. So we'd sit down and talk with them about it for half an hour, 30 minutes. They realized really what they're upset about was something else. Or maybe they really were upset about this. Or maybe they were feeling sad. Or maybe they were having a trauma trigger, like a, a trauma reaction that was triggered by a certain situation. And so long story short, it's like emotion processing is something we we kind of do naturally, but if we learn how to do it like on purpose, then we can get really good at knowing what to do with our emotions. Mm. Yeah, I, I love hearing you talk about this because it, what it kind of makes me think is like, at the end of the day, it, what it kind of means is just you're just talking about your feelings. Which sounds like, it almost sounds too dumb and too mm -hmm. simplistic. Like, nah, like that, obviously it's more complex than that. Yep. But like, no, <laughs> but the reason it's, it's, it seems like the reason, and I, I want to get your take on this, but mm -hmm. why, like we all understand that idea of like, well, yeah, you just, there's no specific formula, but you just talk more about how you're feeling. Like some kid was obviously super pissed off and it said, Hey, looks like you're kind of mad right now. Yep. <laughs> um, and then you just sort of elaborated on that more, right. And let them kind of go over that. So why? If it's, if it's a re it, like this isn't rocket science, like talking about your feelings, you don't need a PhD yeah. to talk about your feelings, right? Yeah. Why, why is it hard? Like, why do we not do this? Why do we need, why do a lot of us need, you know, a counselor on a wilderness um, program or a mm -hmm. therapist um, or whoever? Mm -hmm. Why do we need, why do you think it is that this is hard to do? And why do we need kind of a guide to help us with this sometimes? Yeah. And I, I, that's a good question. I think emotions are really complex. And I just finished kind of writing out my emotion processing process and it turned into 32 videos on YouTube. So, I mean, it's like, it's complicated. I spent like kind of four years, like picking away at this. And so like, if you, if you look at like the simplest level of an emotion, like super duper simple, like an, like an animal feels like a dog, another dog comes up, the, the dog feels scared. So the dog barks or the dog runs away and the dog knows what to do with that scared emotion, right? You either fight the other dog off or you posture or you run away or you freeze, right? That's so simple. And like on a very simple level, like humans are the same way. So like, let's say um, a really simple farmer uh, 200 years ago was like, oh my goodness, I'm worried about having enough food 
So what will I do about this? I will not sleep very well. I will wake up early. I will go out and use this chemical adrenaline that is part of worry to go hoe my field. And then I will plant my crops and then I will feel a little better. And you worked right through that emotion, right? So like on the very simplest level, emotions are really simple. They're about like, oh, evolution, in my opinion, kind of evolutionary functional like motivation to take action. But then we make them really complicated because we have super like, big brains that have the capacity to do all sorts of things. So as humans, uh, as we develop, uh, even in our lifespan, we develop the ability to suppress and not act on our emotions, which is great, right? Like if I'm mad and I feel like punching someone, then it's great that I have the ability to suppress that emotion for a little bit, calm myself down and choose whether I'm going to act on that. But then that gets really messed up when like kind of one of the first reasons why I think people don't process their emotions very well is they judge them immediately as being bad. And then they suppress them. So like the first step is like, oh my gosh, I feel sad. And then your mom says, don't feel sad. Look on the bright side. And then your mom does that 600 times in your childhood. And pretty soon you learn, I'm not allowed to feel sad. So I need to just smile. And then pretty soon you get wound up with this, you know, huge ball of sadness that is like so complicated. And you don't even realize that it's partly because you never took that sadness and did something with it or took that sadness and resolved it or took that sadness and validated it and then it dissipated. And so I think one of the first reasons why we aren't that good at processing emotions is we're, we have a really great prefrontal cortex that can suppress things, right? We can think our way out of emotions sometimes. And we judge emotions too. So the emotions we judge is bad, like anger, sadness, um, anxiety. We get told, oh, these are negative emotions. You shouldn't have these emotions. And so people suppress them instead of working through them. I, I think that is so on the mind. That's like 99% of what you need to know about emotions, right? <laughs> is that <laughs> it's not like emotions themselves aren't yeah. good or bad, yeah. right? But the thing that gets us into trouble that, or the, the two really big things, like you said, are we, for a variety of reasons, we tend to avoid them. Mm -hmm. We tend to kind of... And like you said, that can be helpful sometimes, but if it's your default, always, this is what I do strategy, that can get problematic. Um, so we, we avoid them and then we think of them as bad things, right? Yep. That we, may, we sort of make that mistake that just because it feels bad, we assume that it is bad, right? right. Which, which is an understandable kind of like mistake to fall into. Um, but there are plenty of things in life that, that feel bad or uncomfortable, but are aren't actually bad or are actually good for us sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just think that that is so huge. So it makes sense that then when you, when, you, when you got, when someone's angry, right? And you're mm -hmm. trying to kind of help them work through that, it seems dumb to just say, and I remember as a trainee in, in psych thinking like, when my teachers were talking about how important it is to validate someone's emotions, someone across from you is very obviously sad. And mm -hmm. you say, you say to them, Gosh, it's, it seems like you're really sad talking about that right now. Yeah. I remember thinking like, that is the dumbest thing in the world. Like, obviously they know that they're sad. They don't need me telling them that they're sad. But I think the point that I missed to, to your point is it, they're not just sad. Like sad is complicated. There's a lot in there. And yeah. me reflecting that back encourages them, right, to start to put words to it, to approach it instead of running away from it and then to explore it more. And you, I, I wanna hear your thoughts on, you've got this, this great kind of idea I saw in one of your videos about sort of looking for emotions behind whatever the initial emotion is. Yeah. Can, you, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's such a key part of emotional processing too. 
Yeah, I, I would say so too. And this is not like an original idea of mine. I mean, this is something people have been kicking around for a long time. But, um, you know, we we're really, our brains are really powerful. They do some things without us knowing it. And um, if we, so I like using terms like uncomfortable for an emotion instead of bad or negative. So like anxiety is uncomfortable, but it's sometimes really helpful. And, um, but there's a lot of emotions that are uncomfortable, whether it's because they feel uncomfortable in our body or because we've been told we're not supposed to have them. So a lot of um, men, for example, have been told as boys, like, don't cry, that makes you a baby, right? And so that's an uncomfortable emotion to cry or to feel sad. And a lot of women have been told you're not allowed to get angry. Like, that's not an acceptable emotion. And, and men are told not to be angry and women are told not to be sad, too. I mean, it goes both ways. But these are just generalities. So we get told, like, you're not supposed to feel sad. And so what's the best way to make sadness go away? To get really upset at someone, to get really mad at someone, to get really angry at someone. So you can subconsciously feel like the problem is my boss is the biggest jerk in the whole world. You can, you can think that and that emotion connected with that would be, oh, anger. But what's really inside is maybe, oh, I feel insecure. I feel, you know, underneath that feeling might be something like I feel sad that I, I failed at an assignment or I feel insecure that like, oh, maybe my job... Um, my, my job isn't safe or I'm not as good of a worker. I'm afraid that I'm not as good of a worker as, as I, I, I want to be. And so then those emotions, sadness or fear or insecurity, are really uncomfortable. And it's a lot more comfortable to cover that up with, oh my gosh, my boss is the biggest jerk. Like that's a very comfortable and validating emotion. But it doesn't help you solve that many problems in the long run. And then like you'll see with, with women, sometimes they'll be like, oh, I can't feel angry. So instead they'll, um, you know, be more likely to internalize. They'll be more likely to be like, oh, well, it's probably my fault or um, I'm just a bad person or if something bad happened to me or someone was mean to me, then I'm going to be more likely to be like, oh, I'm just, you know, poor me, woe is me. And, and that's like another way to be like, I'm not allowed to feel angry. That would make me bad. So instead, I'll feel this secondary emotion. It's called, um, yeah, secondary emotions is one of the words for them. It's like, I'll cover up these sensitive and vulnerable emotions with something that's, you know, safer. But in the long run, um, it doesn't help you solve the, the root of what that emotion is asking you to do. So like if you are actually feeling, um, as a worker, if you're actually feeling insecure, then that emotion could help motivate you to clarify whether you're doing a good job or not. You might be doing a fine job and it's just in your head that you're, in, you're not good enough. Or you might learn, oh, you actually don't have a skill that you need. And then that emotion can motivate you to learn that skill. So emotions, they aren't bad, like they're uncomfortable, but they serve a function. Um, yeah, and, and when we get stuck in the secondary emotions, the more comfortable emotions, it's really hard to figure out what that function is. Yeah, and that, that is so tricky, right? Is that when we end up using, we use emotions to kind of distract ourselves from or cover up other emotions. And we use as it uses a weird word because it's not like we're doing this intentionally most of the time. It's, it's in my experience, it's usually like a habit developed over time that is almost unconscious at this point to where you, the, the minute some, I, I, well, let me tell you this. I, I want to see, I want to see if you, what your take on this is, but I, so I've specialized for years in anxiety, almost primarily, and in, in therapy, like women are much more likely to come into therapy. So I talk to a lot of anxious women, basically, is one way to put it. And one of the things I have come to believe more and more is that 90 to 95% of the time, when someone shows up to my office and they say they're anxious, almost always what is really going on is they, they don't have a good relationship with either sadness or anger. 
there's <laughs> always something going on with sadness or anger that their anxiety, yeah, that the that the anxiety is like a the anxiety is doing work. It, it's a way to kind of that they've learned maybe because of early experiences um, to because they can't they're not allowed to feel angry or or to actually like ask for what they want or say no to what they don't want. Right. Yeah. Or they're in their family culture. It was not okay to be sad, right. Or to feel lonely or whatever it is. And so they sort of learn to sort of substitute th these patterns of worry and anxiety. Um, and it's, it's just so common in it to, I think to, to clients, it looks like a magic trick when you, whenever they're coming really anxious and it's like, you know, like, let's, I wonder what else is going on there. Let's process that. And then again, nine times out of 10, there's some kind of deep, anger or sadness going on beneath the surface there like it's just so common do you see that or is it <laughs> i i do well i see it all the time i see it all the time like um it, and it's different it's it shows up in different ways sometimes like sometimes in my opinion like depression is really just like anxiety that has burned itself out like and that, that but it, it looks like depression but it's really about fear you know and but i do i see that i see what you're saying like especially someone who's anxious but what they really are is mad because they aren't setting boundaries and they're trying to wrap themselves in a hundred circles of like how do i um never set boundaries but still feel happy <laughs> so they're like and make everyone to, else in my life happy too yeah and make everyone <laughs> else happy yeah that i totally yeah i totally hear what you're saying and that what that's about is like boundaries which is probably the core emotion of that is like protection which is anger right anger serves the function of like protection in a really healthy way and if yeah that that's such an interesting way of thinking about that i've not i've not quite ever thought of it in that way that's fascinating yeah it's, it's it, i totally we could have a whole nother podcast on that idea of depression what you're just talking about um but okay so let's let's say someone is um listening to this and they are kind of getting the feeling like yeah you know what i probably do i could probably benefit from getting a little bit better at, at processing my emotions mm -hmm. um but maybe that like, how do you, how do you, how would you recommend that someone do that? Let's say you don't have, you know, a therapist or you're, you're not a little kid who has a, you know, parent who's especially emotionally in tuned. Can we, can we get better at emotional processing with ourselves? Like, can we get better? Like, do we need someone else to help us do this? Or is it something we can actually learn to do better kind of on our own? And if so, what is, what does that look like? Yeah, that's such, that's a great question. And I guess the first thing I, I want to say to that, I was just thinking yesterday a lot about how emotions really are kind of in the relational part of our brain. And so we're inherently driven to process emotions with relationships. But when that's not an option, there's a lot that can be done. And I, I really do believe in these skills so much. That I've been making a lot of videos on them. So like you can learn these skills and um shameless plug but my youtube channel i'm putting this whole course on youtube for free so people can watch these skills on youtube it is um, so good people <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end like where yeah. people can go to look at it. it is really good and awesome but, that you're putting it all online so i'm going to mention like what these skills are and if people want a deeper dive they can go there but like the very first step is noticing what you're feeling and a lot of times that looks like noticing what's in your body like Oh, like I have a client all the time and he's like, I'm so depressed. And I said, well, where do you feel that? He's like, in my stomach. And like, let's talk about your stomach, right? And so noticing what it feels like in your body. And so one of the ways you can do this is creating like an emotional check-in for yourself. You can do this once a day or even once a week, or you can do it five times a day. And when I was in residential treatment, this is like one of the most common things we did. And for some of these girls, it would look like... Um, 
talking to someone about it. For other people, we made these little vests and they could like Velcro um, an emotion on the front of their vest so they could like express what they were feeling. But I think for the average person, like an emotional tracker, you can use apps, you can use a piece of paper and just write down at the end of the day um, what you were feeling. But the trick with this is a lot of times people will be like, oh my gosh, I feel like the world is a terrible, horrible place. I'm sorry, that was not a feeling. There was no emotion word in that sentence. I feel like my boss is a big jerk. That's not a feeling. That's a thought, right? So when you do this, print out a list of emotion words and put it wherever you're doing this process, whether you're checking in with someone else or whether you're writing it down. And you force yourself to use an emotion word in a sentence. Like I've worked with clients who will talk for half an hour and I will say, excuse me, you have not used an emotion word yet. You need to say, I feel followed by sad (laughs) or whatever it is, right? So that's like the very first step. And honestly, that's like, I don't know. What percentage of the work do you think that is? That's like what the majority of the work is just that. So much. Yep. (laughs) So starting with just, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just, it it really is amazing. I I think part of the reason it's so hard is again, because it seems so dumb. It it, it feels dumb. Like when you, when you say, I feel sad, you sound like you're six years old, (laughs) right? Like normal adults, unfortunately, don't talk like that. We, right. we say like, oh, I'm super stressed out, you know, or I'm just kind of down in the dumps and blue and like, mm-hmm. no, just be straightforward with yourself and say, I am sad. Don't yeah. intellectualize, right? Yeah. And you see this in relationships too, right? So instead of saying like, oh, I feel um, nervous, or I feel anxious, I feel insecure um, about whether you care about me. You say, instead you say, why didn't you remember this? Why didn't you take out the trash? You're making our house, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, what if you just started with like, I feel, um, I feel stressed out. I feel nervous. I feel, you know, like that actually is a connecting type of communication instead of an attacking kind of communication. So yeah, I I would say like vast majority of the work, like if all people ever did was every day, write down an, I feel statement with an emotion word in there, feel like 60% of the problems would go away. I legitimately agree with that, actually. Yeah. Like, I, re- I really think that is such, that's not like an exaggeration. Like, if it's you like get so really good at this skill, yeah. it's amazing, like, what that, that alone can kind of do. So, what, okay, I, I want to go back to something you talked about, like, this idea of trying to notice where in your body your emotion feels. This is another thing, like, you, I at least, I hear this all the time. People talk about, like, oh, yeah, like, where, you know, where, where are you feeling in your body? What's the deal with that? Like, why do you, why do you find that particularly helpful? Like asking people to think about where in their body, like, is it that certain emotions literally express themselves in your body somewhere? And if you focus on the body part, it relaxes something like that. Or is it more that like thinking about how you feel kind of grounds you and stops you from intellectualizing or what's, what's like the active ingredient there when, when, with the advice of like being in your body? do you think? That's a good question. I mean, I think because I fundamentally believe emotions serve a purpose, like if we, if we key into our bodies, we can gain a little bit more awareness of what those emotions serve. And emotions, I think we've thought of emotions for a long time as being in our brain and um, they're definitely in our bodies too. So like we can't just stay up in our brain. And I also, I practice acceptance and commitment therapy. The, the main tenet of that is when you avoid something, you make it worse. Um, and so I think when we're intellectualizing or we're not noticing what's going on in our body, we're inherently running from it without realizing it. It's a form of avoidance. 
And um, avoiding emotions is basically asking your body to make them louder and louder until you can acknowledge them. It's like uh, you're a two-year-old. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if they're asking for something and they need something, they're just going to get louder and louder and louder until you say, oh, yeah, you can have that. Or, oh, no, you can't have that. And then they'll be quiet or they'll yell for a minute and then they'll be quiet. <laughs> but I, I feel like our body and our, our brain, they aren't out to kill us. They aren't out to get us. They're, they have something that they need. And when we validate that, we meet that need. And sometimes all it is is just acknowledging it. And then I do, I agree with, I agree with what you're saying. I think it does ground the body. But I think the, the key process of this is like turning inward instead of running away. Because when we tune in to listen, then our emotions don't have to scream at us to get acknowledged. And that doesn't mean acted upon, right? Like I think people get afraid that when we say it's okay to feel anger, they might be afraid that what we're saying is it's okay to act on anger. Or like um, when you feel anxiety, it means you have to act on that by avoiding it. So just pretend like it's not there so that you can do your task. And instead, it's, I, I've found that when I kind of turn inward and, and sit with, sit with, that's such a vague term, when I allow myself to feel what's going on in my body and I allow myself to name the emotion, it gives a lot of clarity to whether I can take action or whether I need to allow that emotion to be there. But by just validating it and acknowledging it and noticing it, it's like, okay, at least, at least my comment was heard in this town hall of emotions. Right. Right. And I had, yeah, I had this experience this last week where I was super stressed out about work. Like something was just kind of blowing up and I, um, went out for a walk and I was like trying to walk it off and I was trying to breathe and I was trying to calm down and I was trying to like soothe myself and I was super upset. And um, finally, I just said, okay, anxiety, I'm going to take my own advice. Bring it on, anxiety. Let's feel it. Let me feel it. Do your worst. I'm going to let myself feel as stressed as possible. And I'd spent like an hour trying to calm myself down. And as soon as I did that, and I cried for a minute, and I let myself feel super stressed out. And then I was like, okay. And I calmed right down. And it wasn't because I was forcing myself to calm down, but it was just like, I finally just said like, okay, it's okay to feel this. Even though I tell myself this all the time, like... okay this this is the perfect segue to another thing i wanted to talk to you about which is this this word that i think is so underrated in most of mental health i think the acting people are are onto it pretty well but um for the rest of us it's really underrated and that is willingness Um, and the the idea of being willing to feel your emotions and just let the it's it's a hard thing because it's not like you you have to be willing to do something about your emotions it's actually the the exact opposite it's the willingness to not feel like you need to do anything and just to kind of let them be there um liz gilbert the author of e pray love has this she wrote this book about called big magic kind of about her like creative process um as an author and and she has this great metaphor that she talks about. She's talking about fear and like how she deals with feeling like an imposter and like her stuff isn't good enough and whatever. And she thinks of her job as an author as she's like on a road trip, right? She's driving the car, a long highway. And fear is this monster in the back seat that like pops up from time to time and wants to take control of the wheel and say, no, 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 no. Like you can't do this. This, you definitely do not want to go there, pull it over. And so the monster is always trying to like grab the wheel. And what she says is there are two traps you fall into in dealing with the fear monster. One is you, you just like give up and let the fear monster drive. 
which of course means they don't, you don't, you stop driving. You don't get to do the things you actually want to do. You just pull over and like, I don't know, sit in the middle of the desert somewhere. <laughs> the other mistake is we try to grab the fear monster and throw it out the window. We try to get rid of fear, Yes. which if you're driving 70 miles an hour down the freeway and you let go of the wheel and try and throw something out the window, you're going to crash. <laughs> that is not a good solution either. And so her, what she's sort of settled on is the fear monster is it's like, <laughs> it's like a bratty little kid who's been in the car too long, right? You're not going to throw your kid out the window. You're also not going to give him the wheel. What you're going to do is kind of set boundaries and say, you're more than willing. I'm more than willing to have you come along for the ride, but you stay in the back seat. You can go ahead and yell, scream, do whatever you want to do. I'm going to focus on driving, right? So to me, like that's this idea of willingness, right? Being willing to have our feelings, whatever they are, yeah. is just so huge. So how do you, I, I mean, I know we're on the same page with this, but like, how do you work with people or help people? What, what are some kind of like ideas or, or tips you give people for starting to get better at like wrapping their head around this idea, which is so counterintuitive, I think for most of us. It is so counterintuitive. Um, and I think like in my personal journey of like improving my mental health, I went through a stage of like just blame and anger and feeling like hopeless to a stage of like, oh my gosh, I can control my emotions by changing how I think. And then I've like progressed on to like, that's partly true. And some emotions like I've got to allow to be there. So as I've, I've made forward progress, it's like, this is one more step in my journey. I've probably got a hundred steps to go. Um, but um, willingness, I think for initially, it do, people need to know it doesn't mean liking what you're feeling. It doesn't mean approving of your feeling or like calling it good it doesn't mean agreeing even with what you're feeling. Like you might be feeling something for no reason and you don't know why. Um, willingness is saying I'm choosing to allow myself to experience what I am already experiencing. Like it's not wanting to feel anxious or sad. It's saying, well, I am feeling anxious or sad. So I have an option. I can pretend I'm not, or I can say I am feeling this. And then <laughs> for me, a big part of this is body work. Like, um, where am I noticing this in my body? This is uncomfortable. Can I allow myself to feel some discomfort? Uh, because the alternative is turning around and trying to strangle that monster and crashing your car. Like the, the, um, the intense amount of stress I was feeling Tuesday morning where I went for this walk and cried a little bit was the reality that my YouTube channel is getting really big and it's attracting some attention. And that includes some, um, some, some threats, some dangers, right? And I had to choose... Am I willing to keep doing good in the world or am I going to hide and run away from this? Like my only option is to keep doing good and um, or or to run and hide. And if I choose to keep doing good, there will come like stress. Like that's part of doing good in the world, like stress. So letting yourself feel this. And this is when I, when I use terms to talk about this, it sounds like, oh, learn to sit with your body, learn to acknowledge your body. And that sounds so vague. But the acceptance and commitment therapy gurus have really broken this down into some really concrete strategies. One of the exercises that um, they share is called willingly out of breath. And what you basically, you hold your breath, you time it, you see how that goes, and then you stop. And then you hold your breath again, but this time you are super just curious about what it feels like to hold your breath. And when you're out of breath, it's uncomfortable. Um, or like if listeners are not driving currently, you could try doing a wall sit right now. Like do a wall sit where you put your, like, like a chair sit where you're holding yourself up with your, um, your big, big muscles in your legs. And um, you feel that start to get really uncomfortable. 
And then you say, okay, what does this discomfort feel like? Can I keep doing a wall sit while feeling discomfort, while this hurts a little bit? And can I be curious about this feeling while continuing to do the activity that I value, which is exercise? And this is like just little ways to like strengthen your willingness muscle. You get better at feeling instead of just getting feeling better. Um, And there's, there's a bunch of other activities that like acceptance commitment therapy has to help you like practice this. But for me, like the skill of willingness is um, it's changed my life. It's made my life a lot better. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable about that stress. Um, and if you, <laughs> out of my recommendation to you, if you ever need like a coping strategy for when you're feeling stressed, and maybe you do this already, but reading the comments on your YouTube videos, it, they are amazing. Like talk about doing good in the world, like people's reactions to you and how much you are being helpful. And like, it's, it's so cool reading those comments on your videos. Like you clearly are having a really huge positive effect on people. Um, that, and that, that did help me this week. I put a, I put a little post up this week and someone, someone posted, I mean, it's the last thing I ever wanted to do was be like a public figure. <laughs> I'm like an introvert who wants to work in a room with one person and talk about feelings. Right. Like, right. <laughs> and someone, someone posted on my YouTube channel, like, Hey, Emma, I'm a father of four kids and I was so discouraged and so stressed out that I was going to take my own life. And I watched your YouTube channel and it helped me. And I thought, this is why, like, this is why I do this. And this is why I'm willing to accept, like, the anxiety and stress that comes with trying to do good in the world. And that for me is like, okay, this is my value. This is, this is the direction I'm driving. Like your, um, what's her name? Gilbert? Um, who wrote Liz, the book? Liz What's Gilbert. Called? Liz Gilbert. Liz, it's like yeah. you're driving in a direction and you have to choose. Am I going to stop going in the direction I value? Or am I going to allow this monster to be in the car with me while I keep driving? <laughs> and I think it's the same with relationships, right? Like I've, I saw on some forum somewhere, someone asked, well, if I feel really anxious in a relationship, should I leave? And there was like 60 comments that are like, yes, if you feel anxious in a relationship, you should leave. That's a sign that the relationship is bad. And I would say, um, I'm sorry. Every good thing in your life is going to come with discomfort. Like being vulnerable in a marriage with a human being is going to be uncomfortable. So if you just want to run every time you feel anxious, you're not going to be able to drive in the direction you want to go. You're not going to be able to live the life you want to live. So willingness is all about like, what kind of life do I value? And am I going to accept the uncomfortable emotions that come with living that valued life? And I'm so grateful for people who helped me re- remember that, like this man who posted that on my channel, because it helped me remember, okay, it's okay to keep doing this, <laughs> even though it's stressful. Yeah, no kidding. It's, it's funny, like, I, I go back and forth on whether I think willingness is a skill or not, because it's, in some ways, it's kind of, it's, <laughs> it, it's almost like I think about it, like, it's not, the, willingness is not the presence of some new skill. Yeah. It's the absence of unhelpful skills. <laughs> like yeah. we learn at some point that if I feel anxious, if I feel sad, I have to do something to stop feeling sad. And so we develop these like skills, if you want to call them, of avoiding how we're feeling or substituting some other emotion for how we feel. So I, in some ways, That's I almost feel like, yeah, like, like willingness is, I mean, I think there is a skill element too, but it's almost like it's the courage to realize you don't need to do anything like you don't you don't need a skill you don't need a five point you know like playbook for like what do i do when i feel like it's okay 
to be anxious. It's really uncomfortable yeah. at times, painful even, yeah. right? But there's nothing wrong with me because I feel anxious, right? right. Or because I feel sad. Or be so it's, it's this weird like negative skill, in it. not negative and bad, but like it's like the absence of compulsion, of feeling like you have to do something almost. Um, I don't, what, do you make, what do you make of that? That's an interesting thought because I, I completely agree. Like I think we are, we learn ourselves out of emotions in a way. Like we, we train ourselves to suppress. Um, I mean, I, I tell the story in, in one of my courses about um, this family member who when she was a little kid, her parents got divorced. Her, her dad was taking her to kindergarten and dropped her off at kindergarten and then picked her up and the teacher said, oh, hey, just so you know, your daughter's crying in class. So the dad takes her home and says, you don't cry in class anymore. That's causing problems. Oh. If you keep crying in class, I'll give you something to cry about, right? And right there he taught her, like, you're not allowed to have feelings. <laughs> and then right. she just, you know, throughout the rest of her life develops this, this um, adaptive skill for her environment to suppress her emotions. But then in the long run, it's, it's pretty harmful. So letting go of that suppression would be willingness. That's an interesting thought. I, I feel like I have to like, <laughs> pardon me, I'm sorry. Um, I feel like I have to like intellectualize so many things before I can like actually embody them. Like willingness yeah. is like a state. It's like, it's like turning off the intellectual state and turning on the like, I can just be. But mm. how do I get there? For me, it takes like 15 steps to get there. Like I don't know how to turn that switch on, you know? Yeah without yeah, like well, trying different little things. Yeah. I like that you brought up the idea of like exercise and using little like physical exercises like wall sets or something like that. And I think that's really important because I, I think it is like when you, like if you hop on a treadmill and like go for a run, it's you, like w your ability to stay on the treadmill for 20 minutes or whatever and do your workout. Um, it's more, it's more about like feeling your muscles say, or your brain say like, oh, we can't handle this anymore. We need to get off, right? Or I'm really tired or, or I don't really know if I want to go to the gym. Like maybe I'll just watch Netflix for half an hour instead. <laughs> and realizing like those voices and those messages, those can happen and, and it's okay. And I can still get on the treadmill, right? Just because I, f I feel a certain way doesn't mean I have to act in accordance with that, in that direction that that emotion is. And right. that's another thing. I, I, I don't know how you feel about this. I, I, I think sometimes we, we fall into the trap of we're, we either ignore our emotions entirely and we like live in denial. We like pretend they're not there mm -hmm. or we like make too much of them. We read all, like you were talking about the, if you feel anxious, that means you, means you need to get out of a relationship. We like read right. in this like huge epic meaning to particular emotions. And I feel like more and more, I think like, there's this middle ground where, where we, we acknowledge emotions and we appreciate them for what they are, but we're also a little bit like realistic and skeptical of them too, that like they're, they're not the end all be all. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that? Like what's the, what's the proper sort of like relationship with emotions? Um, that's, a bit, that's kind of a vague question, but how do you think about that? That's a, it's a good question. I like to think of emotions and thoughts as informative, but not decisive. Like, um, I heard this recently uh, about, um, was it on your podcast about, uh, anxiety is like a fire alarm. Was that on your podcast? Oh, I don't think so, but that's a great, okay, so, that's a great So if you imagine yeah. like your fire alarm goes off in the hallway, that's a noise. It's alerting. It makes you look, but you might've just been cooking bacon. Like the house might not be on fire. Or you maybe just took a really hot shower. So it's like emotions sometimes mean something and they sometimes don't just like a, a smoke alarm does. 
Um, and like emotions can be informative, they can make you look, but then the decision should be something deeper than that emotion. The other day I was talking to someone in my neighborhood um, who I, I help out sometimes. She's, you know, she's someone who struggles a lot. And I, um, she mentioned that she's really, she hasn't left her house in a year because of COVID. But I asked her, oh, so did you get the vaccine? And she said, no, I'm also terrified of the vaccine. And I said, oh, oh do you want to talk about that? You know, and she um, didn't, uh, she, and, and then she, she didn't necessarily want to talk about that too much, which was fine. But then she said, oh, she, she hasn't been employed for a year either. She got two job offers and then she um, didn't take either of them. And they were both good jobs. Um, and, I, and she said, I, I just didn't feel right about it. I just didn't feel right about it. I said, well, how do you know? How do you know if that is, you know, your anxiety speaking? Obviously, she's a very anxious soul. How do you know if your anxiety is making your decisions for you? And then, you know, then she went off on this big, long intellectual thing about like this, that, and the other, and this, that, and the other, and this, that. So her, her thoughts and her anxiety were really just like very confusing for her. And um, I think that, I think a lot of people can understand that, like that feeling of like, do I listen to my feelings? Do I listen to my thoughts? Right? Like neither of them are completely accurate all the time. And uh, I, I always try to go back to valued direction. What is the direction you want to be going in your life? And that's something you choose. That's something you choose. What's going to be most important to put your energy into? What's going to be most important to put your time into? And sometimes, like for me right now, it's like trying to make mental health skills more accessible. So um, my, my emotions would say, don't do it anymore. This is too stressful. And my thoughts would say, well, you know, whatever they would say. And in the end, I have to choose what do I value the most? And I think that's for me like centering, like, what do I want my life to be about? How do I want my relationships to look? How do I want my interactions with other people to look? And I let my emotions inform me, but not decide for me. Man, mic drop, Emma. <laughs> that, that's either the end of the conversation or that's the start of another like three hour conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I think what we're going to do is I'm going to get you back on to talk more about that because that you're right. That's such a huge topic. Um, but this this has been awesome, like so informative and fun for me. Um, and I, I know it will be for, for everybody listening to this, too. So thank you. I really, I really appreciate you making the time in a very stressful week um, <laughs> to boot. Oh, it's getting better. <laughs> it's good. Getting better. Good. Oh, thanks so, so much where, for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So where can people go to learn more about you and your all your awesome work? Like where's the best place for people to head to? Yeah, just go to YouTube and, and search uh, therapy in a nutshell. Therapy in a nutshell. It's literally one of my favorite YouTube channels. Like Emma, your, your stuff is so good and so helpful. Um, and people, again, go watch the videos, but then read through the comments. Like they're just, it's a, it's a night, it's a wonderful like slice of positive humanity. Like <laughs> there's good surprised. stuff out there in the yeah. world, people. <laughs> I have been surprised. I would say like 97% of my comments are so nice. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you watch Wreck-It Ralph and people are like, don't read the comments. And it's like, but people actually are really nice out there. Mostly. Uh, yeah, mostly. There's always the 3%. But. Yep. <laughs> All right, Emma. Well, thank you so much, and we will uh, we'll talk soon. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Minds and Mics. If you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you took one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out a lot. And if you've already done that, please consider sharing Minds and Mics with a friend or family member you think would enjoy it. As always, thank you for continuing to support the show, and we'll see you next time.